Mays. Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. in my time, but never one like the War Wagon. The War Wagon is a story about friendship and understanding. You're worth 12,000 to me. Dead. And 100,000 alive. The War Wagon is a story of happiness. <laughs> it offers you a little action. Generosity. <laughs> a little fighting. The war wagon is a story of humility. <laughs> Mine hit the ground first. Mine was taller. In addition to Kirk Douglas, we have Howard Keel, a mighty colorful Indian. Robert Walker, an expert with high explosives. Keenan Wynn. <laughs> Joanna Barnes. What's your pleasure? Stud. And good old Bruce Cabot. I want Todd Jackson dead. Keep your eyes off of my wife. Your wife? Oh, I thought she was your daughter. Well, she ain't! A drunk kid and a crazy old man. How the hell did I get out, all of you? I didn't bring you here to be the best of friends. We're an inch away from gunning each other down, but first we have to take the war away. what this picture is all about. How a handful of men can work up the guts and ingenuity to tackle a fortress on wheels. Look at those horses, what are they dragging? Heavily guarded, what is that wagon? War wagon, what is it for? War wagon, what is it men are fighting for us, struggling for searching for us, striving for a wagon full of Hey, this is Chuck Wright. You might know me from Quiet Wright, Alice Cooper, House of Lords, and others. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Bang your head. Welcome to 
listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgia Freedom and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google TanTalk1340.com, and you can see me live here in the studio, struggling to get this mic adjusted. Anyway, don't forget to check out the website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you miss any of our past shows, don't forget to check out Nostalgia Radio and Cars.com, where you can listen to all our past 600 and... I lost count shows. Good evening, Bobby. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing well. How about you? No, we're doing pretty good. Well, it's Rocktober, so we were going to con- we're going to continue with our tradition. Yeah, and it's uh, the second week of Rocktober. Actually, it's the second, yeah. So we have a really exciting guest on. We're going to cover, um, like I said, we have a really exciting guest coming on. We're going to cover uh, musicians, I think, that play different instruments, string instruments, um, but people that are I don't know if is virtuoso virtu, virtuoso. What exactly does that mean, Bobby? I always get that word. That's someone that's like really gifted at something. Is that the way that it is? Uh, if you say so. If I say, well, no, no, no. You're supposed to, you're 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 you 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 would know that stuff. Anyway, I'm just saying the guy's really I say good. talented. Yeah, uh, the guy's really good at the guitar. But anyway, um, so we got a a, a a a guitar, a legendary guitarist coming on our show, um, but probably best known in the world of jazz. Uh, and um, jazz musicians, okay? So, and since we kind of cross all genres here a little bit, even though we're kind of rock and roll, 60s, 70s, you know, Deep Purple kind of, uh, you know, Allman Brothers, Doors kind of guys, but um, but I like to listen to all kinds of music. We even listen to classic jazz from time to time and, uh, and uh, blues. We like blues music, too. So, you know, all, all, all this is, you know, started way back years and years and years and years ago. So music has, blues and jazz has had tremendous influence in, in a lot of music that we listen to today. So on that note, um, I think what we're going to do... Now, Bobby, if you want to go ahead and contribute a little bit, too, and uh, you're welcome to do that. I mean, I, I guess, uh, how much blues or jazz is influenced in country music? Jazz, blues, blues, definitely, blues, blues, blues. definitely yeah. Jazz... Um. So jazz anyway. is, uh, jazz is more of a rock and roll influence, I think. Yeah, I mean, cause well, it's always kind of it's it's been there, or some people just add, you know. Well, we are going to ask our guest tonight because he's yeah, a, a jazz, he's going to be the expert. Yes. So, uh, but you know, when you listen to interviews, you know, let's say with like even the Beatles and their Stones and you know Clapton and the Yardbirds and uh, the Animals, they all were influenced by blues and uh, and jazz players. You know, they they emulated those guys, and then rock and roll just kind of evolved out of that, which is kind of cool. Anyway, hey Ed, how you doing there, buddy? You got the commander-in-chief of uh, WTAN just, well, kind of second-in-command there because Lola Jean, the broadcast queen, is... <laughs> anyway, all right, so Bob, why don't you go ahead and fire up a stereo two or a stereo, a commercial or two, and then we'll come back with a song and song then we'll bring two? our guest on. Pardon me? Song first. We'll do the song first. You want to do a song? Yeah. What, 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 oh, you want to... No, no, let's just go right to the commercial, right. and then we'll bring the song and, on. Uh, keep keep blabbing for a second. Yep. Okay, well, you want to do blah, 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 blah. Okay, so, uh, well, what's coming up this weekend? Well, uh, in the next, let's see, this weekend is the uh, Villages Car Show. That's this weekend. Um, in a week or two, we have the Moonshine Festival up in Dawsonville, Georgia. We have the uh, Fort, La- Fort Lauderdale Concourse. That's uh, on the 28th. We have the Chattanooga Concourse coming up. We have Hilton Head coming up. And we have uh, SEMA coming up. The uh, second of November. So there's a lot of stuff going on. We have the Palm Beach concourse coming on. 
uh, up in, I think that's uh, end of November. A lot of car show stuff going on, a lot of motorcycle stuff going on. So we're kind of all excited about all that stuff. And then this weekend, I think it was this past weekend, or was it, yeah, this past weekend, they had the uh, Barber Motorsports. But I think I mentioned that last week, Barber Motorsports Museum, classic stuff. Bobby, you got that thing queued up? All right, good. Or no, commercial, right? Then we're going to queue. Okay. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Bobby's going to play a commercial for us. We're going to come right back. We're going to play some music, and we're going to have a very special guest for you this evening. Looking forward to it. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Rocker Sammy Hagar here, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Ah, uh, woo! Good God, woo! Okay, we're back, and you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. It's time to introduce our very special guest for this evening. This gentleman is a musical composer. He is a legendary and pioneer. 
bass player. I always say bass, bass player, bass guitar player, and he's played with some of the greats, like Jack Bruce, which you just heard a little clip from, and uh, Getty Lee, Sammy Hagar himself. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Jeff Berlin. Jeff, how are you this evening? Hello? Did we lose you? Jeff, can we hear you? Hello, Jeff, are you there? Uh, we'll try giving him another call here. Okay, we'll try giving him a call one more time. Anyway, yeah, so we've got Jeff Berlin coming on. Jeff has uh, recently put out a album, and uh, he was close friends and very much influenced by the bass playing guitar of Jack Bruce. Let's try this again. You want to try more? All right, Jeff, are you there? Hello? Yes, sir. How okay. Are you? Well, you missed the intro, but anyway, uh, it worked out real good. So I introduce you as the uh, musical composer and legendary and pioneer bass guitar player who's played with the greats such as Jack Bruce and worked with Geddy Lee at Rush, and you played with Yes and Sammy Hager and so on. And uh, I'm delighted to have you on the show this evening. It's a pleasure. I never really played with Jack. We jammed some. Okay. We worked together on... Uh on Alan Holdsworth's record, and he's certainly a hero to me, that's for sure. So, uh, but uh, yeah, and Getty, he's a lovely man, and, and uh, a guy that, that we came up sort of in the same time. He obviously is of a superior success uh, level, and but he's one of the great legends of bass, and an old friend. So tell us how you gravitated to the bass guitar. Now, let me correct me correct me here if I'm wrong because a lot of musicians will say I play bass. They don't refer to the bass as a guitar. I play rhythm, but I refer to a six string as a guitar and whether it's a four string or five string. So, am I correct or am I wrong or is it kind of like uh, however which way you perceive it? What's correct? Sure. It's an interpretive thing. I'm a bass player, I'm an electric bass player, I'm a bass guitar player. Whatever pleases one to say. I mean, that that's all appropriate. Everybody that plays bass uh, has, I guess, their own moniker for it. But uh, I'm a bass player. I, I would generally refer to myself as a bass player. Okay. So, but yeah. but it's still a guitar. So if you say bass guitar, we're still we're still we're still on the right level, though, right? Sure. It's held like a guitar. It's strung sort of, you know, and played in a horizontal manner rather than vertical. So yeah, it's an electrified lower frequency. A guitar electric instrument. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you okay. are. All right. So how did you? Uh, how and why did you gravitate to the to the bass guitar? And did you play other instruments before you gravitated to the guitar uh, to the bass? Well, I was uh, long raised as a violinist. I'm raised in Long Island, and uh, I studied very early, five years old, and did it for over a decade. And when the Beatles came along, uh, I realized that I didn't want to stay on the classical uh, instrument. Uh, McCartney played an instrument that had the same string names as mine. I mean, a violin from low to high is G-D-A-E, and a bass from low to high is E-A-D-G. So technically, one is strung in fifths, one is strung in fourths. So I thought it, it might lend to an easier transformation over from violin, which is a very complicated instrument to play, to the electric bass that at least at the time appeared relatively easy to play. You just put your finger on a fret and, and you pluck it. Pretty much, yeah. So I, I felt that that would be the nice instrument for me to go to. So let me ask you this: you when, whenever I talk to a, a musician that plays bass, okay, 
they always used to say, well, you know, um, you guys that play six string, you know, you guys get rhythm or lead, you know, you can kind of play by yourself and, 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 and it sounds okay. But a bass player, we're just playing bass. Now, when I was following up a little bit on you and reading up a little bit more, um, you, you put emphasis on bass chords. But a lot of people don't think of a bass when you, you just think of basically single notes, but they don't realize that there actually are chords and harmonics and all this stuff. So would you care to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, uh, I I'm, was given credit as a pioneer in one regard that uh, um, I never played harmonics. That's really a Jaco Pastorius innovation. And my thing was that because I was uh, very fascinated with chord harmony, uh, I might be the first guy to actually orchestrate the uh, moving lines and passing tones and passing lines and moving harmony on a four-string bass. So I did it out of interest. I was curious what the results would be. And to tell you the truth, people today have taken that and have gone way beyond what I've done. So, um, But yeah, I've, I might be one of the first guys ever to do that. And um, uh, I can't say that I really, at this particular juncture, want to focus that much on solo bass as much as as I get older, I kind of enjoy playing sectional bass. I like being a bass player in a band. I like being a bass player in a studio. It's rarer these days that studio work is mostly uh, a non-event, like a higher, you know, a musician. I was just talking to, to Steve Lukather a little earlier. And he says he never really gets studio work anymore. So um, in my particular thing, I can either do my Jeff Berlin thing, which is to you know continue to entertain by the music that makes me happy and varieties of ways to look at the bass, I suppose. But as I get slightly older, and I, I, I like playing bass. It's kind of fun, and I get pretty interesting sounds out of it, and like I did on Jack, you know, the Jack songs. And it was it, it's... Being in the rhythm section is, is uh, kind of appealing to me. But in the early days, the hyper days, the youthful, you know, vim and vigor, vinegar, vim, vim and vinegar days, <laughs> yeah. I was really into tearing up the bass. But I'm not, I'm not quite into tearing it up like I used to. All right, so that's another question. Like when I, when I, and I play six-string rhythm a little bit. And but I struggled because I had a guitar that had a wide neck and it kind of was uncomfortable. So then I someone suggested the four string narrow neck and I tell the story over and over and over. And so I just played some notes and what I and and I was listening to one of your videos and you were talking about how you and it might have been Jack uh, Jaco Pistorius. A lot of guys when they play bass they play you you play by ear. Okay, even though you're you're you know how to read notes and 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 all the other stuff, but a lot of it's by ear and that's kind of. You, know, you listen to a song, and then because a bass has kind of like the, the, the substance of the of the of the song a little bit, you know, because that's what it, mm-hmm. the beat that everybody follows, and that's what I did. And then I see that you know, so I just basically picked it like a guitar with my thumb, or I used a pick. But I see a lot of guys that kind of drape their arm and their wrist over the body of the guitar, and they pay with three fingers. Or four fingers. Okay. So, is there yeah. a correct way? Is there is it a is it a personal thing? Or what do you what do you uh, what's uh, how do you explain that? Well, there is no correct way in the regards of playing that instrument because no so-called correct way has ever been established. <laughs> if you look at all the different bass players through history, there's really quite a variety of ways to resonate those strings. But if you look at let's say all orchestral instruments, trumpets. Tr- trombones, uh, bassoons, clarinets, oboes, 
violins, violas, cello basses. You know, they're very specific. They they're played this way for just about the, the entirety of the of one's relationship with the instrument. But you get slap bass players today. You get four fingered bass players today. You get two fingered bass players today. Uh, there's a couple of guys that were uh, born uh, 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 handicapped uh, without without hands. And I saw a couple of guys, you know, finding their own particular way to, to both, on both arms, this guy didn't have hands, and he could still uh, uh, press and, and get a note. And with uh, the, 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 the wrist portion of, of his arm, he could pluck it. So there's no established way, usually, in, uh, that everybody is self-taught anyway. Um, I'm an educator. I, I'm pretty good at it, too. Um, but... Um, uh, I know that when everybody buys a bass, everybody gets into it their own way. That That's almost a flat fact. So everybody usually gets an instrument of any kind because they say, gosh, I love this band. I love this artist. I want to be like this person or at least follow their influence. So everybody's self-taught in that they'll approach it how they wish. But there's a little bit of a downside to that. And the downside is, is that self-taught musicians really only have to rely on themselves to improve by. And what happens is is that if they do that, sometimes they, uh, musicians don't know enough about music in order to really eke out, let's say, musical ability or success. That generally a lot of guys that get an instrument with the best of intentions might end up struggling with basic playing skills that could have been solved in six months. And they sometimes uh, continue in that particular approach. Well, you know, it's not rare for decades. So um, what I've done is I have gone online quite a bit and uh, and had suggested that if people read music or add it to their day or get a you know, teacher to teach it to them, the notes tell you where to put the fingers on the frets. And people literally get better in three months. But it's it's kind of rare that people are willing to go that route because there seems to be this vibe that if you play notes or read notes, it'll affect your art. But that doesn't make sense either, because people have learned how to read and write English, let's say at least your listeners, you know, and none of them seem to be handicapped in their ability to verbally express themselves just because they were taught how to read and write properly. So it's a kind of a base myth. So uh, I've been on a mission for quite a while to say to guys, you know, don't subscribe to the notion that if you actually improve in your reading and playing, which has nothing to do with art, it only has to do with bass improvement, don't subscribe that this will in any way encumber your musicianship because it never will. So I'm kind of a little bit in a rare, rarefied area there because music isn't that popular with the musicians, which always sort of made me smile, the irony of that. But the, um, I've been doing traveling bass classes, you know, Mostly in Europe, uh, uh, they seem to be more open to musical improvement and bass improvement, let's say. In Europe, uh, it's sort of a continental drift toward, <laughs> that was a pun, a continental <laughs> drift towards, okay, I got towards, it. Okay, toward musical improvement. They, a lot of the European nations, the younger guys, they go, yeah, so what do I practice? Go try this, and they'll do it. And there's a lot of of general young generational guys that are sort of passing the american guys by and uh it's it's kind of a choice of americans not to learn properly and it sort of makes it sort of a, a a regretful choice you know so uh there you go jeff berlin music group so 
What does that encompass? Well, it's my website, and it's where I sell my books. It's where I list gigs or tours. Um, it's where I sell Jack, uh, my latest record, Jack songs, my dedicated record to uh, to Jack Bruce, who was a great hero to me. And uh, that's what it is. It's a modest website, but it it it, it lays out uh, uh, or makes available, especially for beginners. Uh, a book that I wrote for beginners so that they could learn how to put their fingers on the neck, you know, in a simple manner. It starts right quite simple. So it's it's there for download uh, and Jack and uh, and uh, but that that's what it is. It's that entire focus on education and musical performance and selling Jack songs, which to me is best record I ever did. No doubt. So how how did you come to being influenced by Jack Bruce, and then how did you come about uh, when you first met him? Well, in the 60s, you really had a, a lean choice of what was considered to be the best players around or the best bands around, and those would be Cream, The Beatles, The Stones, The Doors, Jimi Hendrix, uh, you know, there was a, you know the Jefferson Airplane at the time, and a lot of bands were playing, but we all knew who the best players were, we who were into music as kids. So when I heard Cream, I, I was floored by it because what they did entered my DNA like, 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 a, like an arrow. It, it went dead into the, into the sense of me that here were guys that literally their mission was to play higher and higher and higher every single night. Uh, and they did. And that bass player, Jack Bruce, floored everybody at that time because nobody was improvising and creating that uh, sonic wall uh, that that he did. Gary Burton uh, is a is a uh, my is a teacher of mine and, and, and an old friend uh, when I went to Berkeley back in the seventies. And his bass player was Steve Swallow, who was a jazz legend. And he taught me there. And he told me that uh, he was an upright bass player. And he told me that uh, uh, Gary's group, the Gary Burton Quartet, which is really a, a kind of light jazz fair, if you want to get to come right down to it. But at the same time, there were masterful improvisers. But the music was light. It's vibes and acoustic bass, etc. When Steve said he saw Jack Bruce play, he said, I saw this guy stride out onto the stage. This is a quote. I never forgot it. And plug into this wall of amps and literally take the wall down. And I get it. I get it. And then he went over right away to electric bass. Steve Swallow did, which is funny because Keith Jarrett back in the 70s told me he was really ticked off at, Keith, at, at Steve for becoming an electric bass player. He never forgave him, he told me. Wow, interesting. So having seen uh, the, the th interesting thing about Cream was Ginger Baker was an unbelievable drummer. Jack was an unbelievable bassist, and Eric Clapton, we all know, went on to be one of the greatest guitarists, um, you know, of all times. And uh, and of course, you know, that that always raises another debate: who's the best guitarist, who's the best drummer, who's the best whatever. And I think it's all it's a relative term because you know they always say, well, you know, Jimi Hendrix or whatever, who or or you know, would have been the best had he been around, had he had more time to experiment and so on. But I think technology changes a lot of things and style. I mean, look at what happened to music in the '70s, the late '70s. When we got into into the the shredding thing in the '80s and everything. And the style changed, and I'm sure you the same thing happened 
in bass guitar too. Just like you said, you know, back then everybody was just plucking, but now, um, you know, they're, they're you know, you pioneered, you know, chords. And there was an, in one of the interviews you were talking about how you used to sit there and listen to Jack Bruce when you guys were kind of jamming, and he would, I guess, play on a piano, and he would play with these chords, and he would see which chords kind of work best together, sound better, and you know, made the best harmony together. And the same applies to like when you play, and then he would do that on the bass guitar. So. It's it's real fascinating when you think about it how how it evolves and how you guys get into it and passionate about it and how the how the 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 art of playing that particular instrument has basically evolved. Well, the art evolved incredibly. So I'm I'm like a, I'm still a reasonably good technical bass player. I had a hand surgery, so a year ago to, uh, the bones were rubbing and the pain is gone, but it's compromised my playing ever so slightly. I don't have the same sort of youthful ferocity that I used to have, but that opened the door for me in order to compensate and find new music and new harmony. I'm actually a better bassist for the surgery than I might have been uh, before it. Um, today, bass players are astonishing. Astonishing. The virtuosity is astonishing. I could never uh, duplicate or emulate or enter into their particular uh, area of brilliance. But this makes sense. Um, when I came along, you know, it was we just we stood on the shoulders of Jack and Jack, and Jack Cassidy and then Tim Bogert, and then uh, other guys came along, stood on ours, and then there, this, the bass instrument has become a phenomenal presentation, and uh, people are just beyond belief. I mean, beyond belief. And uh, so I, I found, though, that the, there's so many incredible bassists out there that how is one to in, uh, individualize one's playing? And it occurred to me that the way you individualize a great player is by how you set the bass in the music. So I paid attention a lot to composition and to uh, recording, like I did on Jack Bruce, on, on Jack songs, to present the bass in a very rich harmonic setting, even though it's a rock setting. You know what I mean? Um, it, it, if I didn't, I'd just sound like a, like a pretty good bass player playing in 4-4 in E. And that's just fairly well common these days. So I elected to find new ways to present the instrument. And the way to present it, I found, is by putting it into a musical uh, cadence and, 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 and uh, alterations and harmony and, and, and resolution that are not usual. That's real attractive to everybody. And if you do it with a rock drummer and, and big rock tone or something, it, it's really quite fascinating. So, um, But just as a summary to this little uh, chat of mine here, there are bass players today that are just ten times what I am. Do you um, when you when you first got um, started playing bass, and being that you were uh, you know um, fascinated with Jack Bruce, did you run out and get a uh, EB a Gibson EB three or or did you go to a P bass or what type of instrument did you play? An EB three. Did you? you? Know, it's, it's, I did. It was my uh, it was my first real. I mean, well, my first bass was a Hagstrom. Oh, that's yeah. A, a, a guy in my town had one, uh-huh. and I admired him. So I went down to the to the guitar shop down in town and bought a Hagstrom. And uh, it, the neck was bowed, which I didn't understand, and the strings were heavy, and I couldn't play, and there was no tone, and I didn't know anything about it. I had to literally find out as time went on that you could straighten a tress rod and do certain things to make your bass efficient. But my first bass was a dinosaur. 
My second base, the EB3, was like a little, looked like a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a what's a Hawaiian instrument they play? The oh, ukulele, man. you know? Yeah, kind, ukulele, right. Like a uke, tiny in my yeah. hands. And uh, so I had, to gr- I had to evolve to find the bass tone that I eventually found and the playing that I eventually uh, entered into. But that's all our stories. Everybody does that. So um, that, I kind of like the fertile soil of bad bass playing and the, and, and the rich, gritty, dirty, bumpy experience of sounding bad. Because if we're, if that's where we all kind of start out at. And from that awful beginning, I kind of using that word euphemistically, but, you know, from that really awful beginning, we're supposed to maybe hopefully eventually evolve to better things to where bass or music, whatever it is, becomes a reward for us, a a genuine pleasure to plug in and not struggle with the most basic tenets of music. You know, you ever notice that kids that play violin or piano and they start as little children, these kids are playing, you know, reasonable Schubert or, or Mozart or or Chopin by the time they're eight or nine years old. They've solved a large, great difficulty with any, with their piano or any, or, uh, as beginner little kids, just because they studied properly, you know, over a little time. And that's the loss to the bass community because few wanted to go there. When exactly the solution, like I said earlier, to their improvement lays right there, just to in, in, add to the day. You know what I mean? Don't stop jamming don't stop doing what you're doing don't avoid anything do everything you do just add 15 minutes of reading and and uh so i always look to the classical kids as an example that i try to share amongst a lot of adult bases who seem not to be willing to uh, see the logic of learning well while they're jamming and, and having fun too so um anyways uh that went a, a long way around the barn too, didn't it? it was, no, no, uh, it's it good. That about about the EB three and all. So I ended up with a, with a court, which turned out to be the most lyrical and sweetest playing bass. It's not a famous name as regards to some of the top really modern bass instruments, but I like this bass because I think it has the best bass tone I ever heard. My court rhythmic and uh, and my and my mark basses, and that's it. I, I'm pretty tra- traditional in sound. That bass that you play is. Uh, did you have that built? Because it's got very nice looks. It's got looks like it's got some light woods and some dark tones on it. And uh, so, did you have that guitar custom made? Well, or the bass actually, rather? no, um, I, I didn't. Um, I, I tend to have a moral compass that points me toward. Uh, a concept that if I pro- pro- propose to people that they buy an instrument that I recommend, it, and if it's good enough for them, it ought to be good enough for me. So what you see is literally a uh, an assembly, off the assembly line bass guitar. I, I helped design it, but there's nothing earth-shatteringly unique in the design either. It's a four-string passive bass, but I feel it's the best four-string passive bass that I've ever heard or played since the famous 1962 jazz bass. It's a chord instrument, but they knew they were sort of behind. The, the Koreans knew they weren't in the same league, let's say, as a lot of the top American or maybe English manufacturers of basses. So these guys went all out to produce a fantastic instrument. And I played it, and I said, this is the best bass I ever played. And uh, the facade is true. It's, it's an interesting facade. 
I think, what is that, Paduke, orange Paduke, and then and, and spalted maple. It's rare that I ever used those kind of facades. I never really was uh, excited by colorful basses. I ra- rather was excited by basses that sound great and play great. I think that that's how, that was my particular motivation. But this particular line, the court rhythmics, turned out to be something absolutely unique, and I'm thrilled by it. So I play an assembly line guitar. I won't ask someone to buy a bass. If I custom build a bass, I'm not sure that how that's honest by asking somebody to buy the same bass, you know? Well, what's curious is because, like, as as with six-string guitars, you know, we play around with, you know, like some guys like a maple neck, some people like a rosewood neck, some people like a solid body, some people like an open uh, hollow body guitar, certain pickups, you know, things like that. So as a bass player... And let's just say you want a guitar, you're, you're searching for, for, for the notes, for, for the sound, for sustain, and obviously basses have a longer sustain than, 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 uh, um, than, a, than a regular six string. I mean, do, do, do those things come to mind to you when you're selecting an instrument? Or, and like in this case, particularly, you said you, you, you have one off the, off the off the you know the, off the manufacturer or the assembly up. line the assembly right. line yeah so is that does do uh, maybe not you but do other play bass players uh, get as technical with their instrument as as let's say some of the guitar uh, six string guys do I imagine they do but I it, it, the technical involvement ought to I feel end I mean it has to be a bit sort of uh, tedious in order to have an instrument and continually tinker with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to feel that, uh, well, when I played this court, they I, they took the designs, you know, I, sh- I shared a, some things and took a scope off, off of an old neck of mine and gave them ideas, and then this bass showed up in a box at my house, and I said, holy mackerel, they got it right, right out of the box. I mean, right, right, they got it right, courted, right away, right away. And I was... I said, this is this is a major players. These are major cats. And but do other bassists tinker around? I'm going to guess not too many of them do. I mean, the, really, once you get an instrument, a bass guitar, the only actual things that need to be dealt with are uh, strings, fret. Uh, well, certainly strings, usually, but the strings are choice. Uh, you know, people will buy the strings that they like. I like uh, slightly lighter strings. I use 40, 60, 80, 100 gauge on a four string. Mm-hmm. Many basses prefer 45, 65, 85, 105, but I always felt that was a little too heavy for me. So I play better with the slightly, you know, one, what is it, a zero, zero, 005 off? I don't even know. Uh, something like that. Zero, 040 I like instead of zero, 045. And, um, the, the only thing you really have to pay attention to is the truss rod, okay. the next straight. Um, the bridge pieces, you know, you adjust that, you know, uh, that maybe bridge a uh, pickup heights, mm-hmm. and uh, you're and essentially you and intonate the bass, which any you know anybody can do, or I could show someday, or you know any good luthier can show, and that's about it. It's really three, four little, you know, ten minutes on the uh, on a on a tuner to to intonate the strings to get the harmonic equal with the fretted note, and you got a great playing instrument. So um, I I don't think. You know, I knew Eddie Van Halen a long time ago, and I was in his living room, and his whole, I played that Frankenstein guitar, you know, that guitar that he's famous for? Yeah. And I've got to tell you that I was, I felt, 
that this was not a comfortable guitar to play. I know he designed it, and he built it, and he did all these remarkable things, and no one can deny the tone that uh, was put out. But I had a suspicion that any guitar put through the amps and the kind of way that he set up his amps would have sounded equally as good. And the only reason I thought to share that story is that today everybody makes such great instruments. It's probably not necessary to get too deep, and I'm going to swap this out for that, and I'm going to put this tube in for this, and this circuit might go there. And you only do that if you really hear in your mind a a vision of, of an instrument sound that you can't get from the gear that you've purchased or you found, you know, in, in the local stores. If the store's gear doesn't work, anybody kind of into it, and, and Alan Holdsworth would start to investigate and, and start to create something due to their own uh, enterprise. Um, but generally, most guitars, all they need to do are bass players. All they need to do is get a bass, set up the neck, tr- t- tweak the, the truss rod, possibly adjust the, the bridge pieces, intonate the strings, and you're done. You are done for maybe forever. I mean, I, I know how humid Florida can be, but because um, I lived there for over a quarter century, and I, I, I love Florida, man. I'd come back in a second if, if there was a school that would have me. <laughs> I would come back in it. Trust me, I would come back in one second. I had a school there at the K-Pop for a number of years. Really? But, was uh, that, at the Sam yeah. Ash store? Well, in the in the uh, in the event center, uh, I knew the old owner uh, Elliot Rubinson, and if you go into the actual gardens, I had the whole top floor for ten years. No kidding. Yeah, I had a music school in there, the Players School of Music. Interesting. Well, let me ask you this: They have the the Clearwater Jazz Festival happens to be in October of every year. Did you ever get a chance to right. play at any at any of those uh, venues at all? Because you're you're kind of a jazz yes. musician. You did. Some years ago, I played uh, Clearwater. I loved it. I loved it. Um, next year, I'm touring Jack Bruce, you know, Jack Bruce Band, and I'm touring, I have a jazz group that I'll be going out with, and uh, I'll be touring a bass class. So I, I come back to Clearwater in a, in, in a drop of a hat, my favorite <laughs> spot on planet Earth. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. How about, um, so when you when you tour with the Jack Bruce Band, are you going to, uh, any, any venues in Florida that you'll be playing? Uh, um, uh, playing at? I would imagine what, if we're booked, you know, it's it's all contingent upon the, the agents who book us and the venues that buy us. That's mm-hmm. what tours are, are all about. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I know what we're going to do quite well again in Europe. I, I'm curious about the interest in America. You see, uh, I'm not knocking our home country. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I'm not knocking us. I'm saying principally that Americans seem to not be into music like they used to be. And that even they're more into music entertainment, which I think there's a difference. Um, Music used to be in the, and I'm being very sort of uh, general here, I certainly can't speak for everybody, but there used to be a time, and again, I'm an older guy, but there used to be a time where we'd go down to the record shop and thumb through albums and see an album and buy it. I bought the first John McLaughlin Intermounting Flame record, the uh, the, the Mahavishnu Orchestra, because it was just in the bin. I bought, we all bought Beatles, we all bought everything that was there, nutty groups too, nutty, nutty bands we bought uh, that were just out, Rhinoceros, It's a Beautiful Day. There was a psychedelic group called the Strawberry Alarm Clock, you yeah. know. Yeah. 
there was another band called Toe Fat. There was another band called uh, uh, Ultimate Spinach. I mean, what a wacky period that was. But you know what? Record companies developed artists. They were into music. They were into promotion. And they supported the arts. And today, it seems to be slightly different. Now people won't buy uh, records or music unless they hear it first. And I got to say that 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 made me sit up and take notice because I, I used to put uh, like equate the Daniel Barenboim new version of the Ninth Symphony, you know, uh, recorded at at the at the at Albert Hall in London. But before I buy the record from Deutsche Grammophone, I want to hear a few moments from the second movement. Then I'll decide. And it's it's a personal issue with me. I I know it is what it is. But I felt that if people love music, you go out and support it. You know why there's no more record companies and why there's no more arts? Because people haven't unified to support the arts. They haven't unified to say, we're going to buy these records. We're going we're to finance the music industry. It, when the record companies uh, recognized that music is a product, it became as much a product as, as a Big Mac. And so in a large sense, music itself is under uh, deep threat and has been for a while in America. So um, I apologize. I'm just trying to share. No, no, that. no. That's good. That's good. I have two questions real quick before and this one. I'll, I'm going to let tell us about fretless uh, guitar necks. I mean, how what's the real big advantage of that? That's one question because I had somebody sent me a text on that. And because uh, okay. uh, tell us a little bit about fretless guitars. Well, you, do you mean a fretless bass? Yeah, fretless bass. We'll use that as an example because we're talking about basses. So, uh, because you, is it is it all about the feel? I mean, what do you gain by going fretless? It's a sound. It produces a sound, a very unique sort of... Uh, in, uh, the notes uh, resonate differently where there's more of a frequency, a more of a... Of a, of a what's the word? Uh, what's that uh, thing? Uh, the author... The, What's the scope? Uh, there's a scope. Uh, give me a second. I have to think of this. I see it in my mind. You know, we're waves, oscilloscope kind of thing. Okay. And when you, when you play an E note on, on a fretless bass, let's say on the A string, there's an o a, a oscillating kind of frequency. When you have a fretted bass, it doesn't do that. It just sustains it, rests against the fret and goes, da. But um, Jaco Pastorius pioneered fretless bass, and when he came out, demonstrating that instrument, uh, the bass world was uh, deeply moved by it. And until it is now a common instrument, a lot of bass players will play the bass. I personally don't. Um, I don't own a fretless. I prefer not to play a fretless, but I recognize that other people do like it. So, um, But it, the fretless just provides a tone that a fretted bass cannot. And that's really the only difference. Okay. Now, you had mentioned Berkeley, and the reason I'm going to go to this just for a second, because we got a couple minutes left, And uh, okay. but I, I grew up in Marin County, okay, so that Berkeley was right across, which is basically Oakland, okay, you're still part of the Bay Area. So when did you attend Berkeley, and were you into the music scene, if you were, back in the 60s? Now, Berkeley that I'm referring to is Berkeley in Boston, B-E-R-K-L-E-E. -E. Okay. And I attended late, the early 70s, and uh, I was a part of the music scene in Boston as well as a student. And as soon as I left Berkeley, I immediately started to work as a bass player. 
Okay, so Berkeley in Boston or in, in New England there. So that was is that a music uh, 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 school? Yes, it is. It's one of the biggest in the world, actually, and uh, it's hit. It uh, is. I think it's changed direction in some regard. Um, it, it sort of now has a focus on, let's say, the more modern approach to bass or music. In that, a lot of the stuff that they teach it, uh, uh, features things that are not just music, but other s- approaches to bass playing. And uh, I have an interesting story. Can I share it with you before we go? Or, if you or got, am if I you, talking if you, too long? You got two minutes. <laughs> I always say two I minutes. I was very you're... critical of Berkeley and very critical of bass teachers and very critical, very critical. And I went to therapy because it was a, one of the symptoms of, of, of a difficult time in me. And when I realized that how wrong I was about criticizing schools, teachers, people, I, I apologized. Uh, on online, I made I reached out and said that I'll never do this again, and will only respect people if they teach differently than I do or have a different view. I do respect that this difference exists, and I've been making the rounds trying to own my bad behavior. And as long as I have a minute left, I thought I would share it here that I was really wrong in what I did. Well, you kind of touched on that earlier, you know, because I asked you about, you know, a style, and there's, uh, you know, and 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 I, I when I first started playing, I I went, I had like three or four different lessons, and then uh, I just kind of like hung around with my friends, and everybody's just kind of like self-taught, and we just played chords, and just like you said, you know, we listened to the Beatles, we listened to the Beach Boys, because I'm from out west, and you know, all those bands, and then of course in the Bay Area, you know, we had Santana was coming on, you know, the Birds was coming up, the, uh, the Chocolate Watch Band, you know, things like that. Those are the bands, and again, talk about goofy names, Moby Dick, you know, another one. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and but but that '60s culture. Um, and that music, just like you said, I mean, it's it's the mindset, the music, it's it's just not there anymore like it used to be. And everything, you know, with YouTube now and all the stuff on the internet, it's it's like it's I don't want to use the word desensitize, but it's like it 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 it's downplayed. It's not it it doesn't make the impact that it did, you know, in our generation. And I'm only a few years behind you. I'm not that far. Um, and right. so we grew up in the same era and influenced by the same music. And, uh, so I can totally identify with what you're saying. And, um, so I don't lament it because things evolve. This, I mean, in a sense, I lament the fact that a lot of guys are going to miss out on, on, on what might be real interesting music and more and real interesting and valid education and those kind of exposures, but things evolve. You can't lament what you the evolution of us, you know, I mean, we're moving forward for better, for worse, in some ways, great, some ways, maybe not so great. So I'm just one of those older voices that says there's good ways to listen, good ways to learn, good ways to, you know, music to regard. So I, I'm, I'm glad to do this. Super. Well, Jeff, we are up against the clock. So real quick, why don't you tell everybody the best way they can find out more about you, how they can follow you on on, on, on learning how to play bass and uh, and, and getting the new uh, the, the album out, Jack Songs. Yeah, well, Jack Songs uh, can be found on jeffberlinmusicgroup.com. And I have a lot of guests, Getty Lee, Sammy Hagar, Alex Lifeson. You know, I'm the only guy that I'm fortunate. I'm very fortunate. I'm the only guy that had every Rush member as a sideman on my records. Isn't that weird? Wow, that's cool. 
So it is. It's a funny little historical statistic. But uh, JeffBerlinMusicGroup.com, Jack Songs, that's my newest. Uh, it's uh, quite different and quite powerful. Um, uh, I'm on uh, YouTube. I'm on uh, Facebook. Uh, sending my love to everybody. You're all over the place. Well, Jack, I want to thank you very much. I'm all over the place. (laughs) That's good. That's good. That's good to know. And, hey, make sure you let us know the next time you come back to Clearwater, because I'd love to have you sit in the studio with us. I think that would be a lot of fun. It would be a pleasure. It would be. Well, Jack, you take care. Again, thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I hope to uh, touch base with you again, have you on our show when you come to town, and uh, look forward to seeing you play in concert when you uh, make the rounds here in the state of Florida. Okay, Robert. Thank you very much. Hey, I want to thank my special guest, Jeff Berlin, and one of the legendary bass guitarists and pioneer playing bass guitar. Bass. Anyway, so, Ta-da. hey, <laughs> I'm close. Anyway, I'll, I'll get it straight. What did they say? But in the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cards. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. for some of the most legendary names in music, automobiles, all kinds of cool stuff. Don't forget to check out some of the shows. Check out some of the concerts. Hey, you know what? You can still buy records out there. So, and listen to some of the classic vintage music. And definitely listen to uh, Jeff Berlin and Jack songs. And hey, some of the original Cream. Uh, meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.